Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. These are the last words spoken by Jesus as he hung on the cross. And I always wondered, what was finished? What did he complete? I know we think and we assume and we generalize, but what was it that was finished? I mean, when, when I say it is finished, uh, uh, Charlie gets excited because she knows I completed something at the house. I, I'm declaring that I've accomplished my goal. I've, I set out early on, and, and I'm declaring it's over, it's completed, it's finished, right? It's a declaration. I've accomplished something. So what is Jesus saying? According to his own words, he said it is finished. Something he did while he was hanging, dying, taking his last breath, declared it is finished. So on this Palm Sunday, this, this Passion Sunday, I'd like for us to ponder that question, what is it that Jesus finished? How is the world different after Jesus took his last breath than it was before? How is your life, how is my life different in knowing it is finished? Are we changed? Are we transformed with this awareness? See, what's amazing to me is that it's not Jesus who gives us the answer to the question. It's actually Jesus' enemies that begin to declare his answers. In Matthew 27, those who are passing by the cross keep heaping insults on Jesus. And, and starting with verse 41, we read, In the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and, and we will believe him. See, the Jewish religious leaders give us an accurate uh, assessment of the crucifixion. Jesus could not save himself and save us at the same time. It's either or. Either, either on one hand, he could have saved himself but would not have saved us. Or the other hand, he, he could have saved us and not save himself. It's either or, but it can't be both. See, for our salvation solely depends on Jesus dying on the cross. See, I realize that it's hard for people in today's world to, to understand that our salvation depends solely upon that one event of Jesus dying on that cross. I've been asked, why did Jesus have to die? I mean, after all, when I forgive someone of something that they've done to me, someone doesn't have to die, do they? Thankfully, no. So why can't Jesus just uh, pardon us like, like we can forgive others? Why couldn't Jesus just forgive us? Why did someone have to die? Well, the, the answer to that question, we are required to examine two great truths of, of the Bible. One is that uh, of the holiness of God, and the other is the severity of sin. 
the holiness of God and the severity of sin. We must understand these truths. You cannot understand God without understanding His holiness or how severe sin really is. The holiness of God is foundational to the story. From the garden in the book of Genesis to, to all the way to the garden in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, God is presented to us as holy. And, and that's, that's something we need to get our mind around. What does it mean to be holy? And God is holy. God is set apart. God is uniquely different. God is totally and utterly different. He's, God is not just a better, more improved us. Holy isn't just being better than anybody else. No. God is holy. Period. God describes himself to Isaiah and says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. God is different than us. God is holy. There is something totally and utterly different about God. And this is manifest in, in, in God's view of sin. Habakkuk 1, 3 says, 1, 13 says this about God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. God, God's eyes are too pure. He can't tolerate wrongdoing. He can't. He's holy. He can't tolerate. To be holy is to not tolerate sin. The Bible says that our sinfulness makes God nauseous to the point, pardon the expression, but this is how the Bible explains it, that our sinfulness makes God want to vomit. That his nauseousness, it makes him so sick to his stomach that he, he wants to throw up. I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking it's strange that our sin doesn't make us feel the same way. If our sinfulness doesn't make us be nauseous, right? I mean, folks, consider that we live in the first generation since the coming of Christ that has succeeded in removing the word sin from the discussion. We rarely talk about sin. We live in a culture that shuns the thought of sin. When we look at all the problems of the world and we wonder what could have caused them, Sin has been removed from all the equations, from all the options. It's no longer even on the table. Sin is so awkward in our society that we've eroded the, the consciousness of good versus evil. That's, re that's silly. That's ridiculous. I mean, many in the world today wonder why we even need a God. I mean, life is good. I mean, I, I'm not a bad person. I've not done anything wrong. I've not sin what is sin why do you tell me that i've sinned there, there's this this concept of morality and and good versus evil that is just diluted in the world today see when we hear the word sin it, 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 it's in discussion of the world's problems we never do and we just watched the news coverage on poverty and hunger health issues education water scarcity global development violence drug abuse sex trafficking and all of these events we blame the government or our education system or our heritage or the lack of discipline or a social economic problem that and the list goes on of things that we blame have you ever heard the government or the media say that the root of all these problems is sin 
have you ever heard anybody even the conservative network say this is caused by sin no it'd be totally unsophisticated it would be they'd be they would laugh at them they'd be discredited what do you mean sin no it's a socioeconomic problem it's a government problem trump did it biden did it let's blame somebody else but don't blame sin no However, in, 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 if, there's, if there was no sin in the world, consider if there was no sin in the world, would there be hunger? If there was no sin in the world, would there be wars? Would there be violences, violence? Would there be sex trafficking if there was no sin? Makes sense. See, according to God, the heart of the problem has always been the problem of the heart. Very simply, we sin. We refuse to obey God and acknowledge God as the Creator. Folks, we live in a fallen world and, and we make godless decisions. We don't factor in God into the equation. Rather than recognizing God as our King, we, we, we search everywhere in the world trying to find a King to serve our purpose. We have refused to submit our wills to God. But folks, God does not pretend that our sin is just a mental lapse of judgment, nor something He's willing to sweep under the carpet. God is holy. He cannot accept sin. He, he, he can't look at us and say, well, they're only human. I'll love them in spite of their humanness. I, they were born that way. They were born with a bent towards sinning. So, so it's got to be okay, right? No. God hates sinning. God can't turn a blind eye towards sin and still be holy. A God, holy God, must hate sin. Or else God is not holy. If God is not holy, then there is no standard in the universe. A, a God cannot, a holy God cannot compromise His holiness by indulging in our sinfulness and our rebellious behavior. Therefore, God must, God must not only hate sin, but punish sin. And this is where I get really uncomfortable because I'm a sinner, just like you. A holy God does not and cannot accept sin. That makes me feel uncomfortable. However, the good news is that God has chosen to love us. Not because we're lovable, but because God is love. Scripture says, God is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The Lord is maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He, he, he's forgiving and loving, but yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Consider this. If God were only holy, we would be destroyed. I mean, we are sinful, and, and God's holiness can't stomach our sinfulness. But if God was fully love, then there would be a lack of discipline. A lack of discipline then we'd end up killing ourselves right because uh, undisciplined humanity can you imagine so follow me for just a second a holy God cannot disregard our sin 
And a loving God cannot disregard his children. So what does God do? Well, let me tell you, there's a holy love. Let me explain holy love to you. Holy love. Holy love. God came as a human being who led a sinless life and then died a sinner's death. See, that's the drama of the cross. I and mean, just listen to Matthew and John as they describe the, dark, the hour of darkness. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land for the sun stopped shining. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, this means my God my God why have you forsaken me there's some of those standing here heard these words they said he's calling Elijah immediately one of them ran and got a sponge he filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink the rest said now leave him alone let's see if Elijah comes and saves him at that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who have died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those, who, uh, those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that was happening they were terrified and he exclaimed surely he was the son of God when he had received the drink Jesus said it is finished with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit notice how God enlists all the elements of nature to emphasize the gravity of this moment the sun has stopped shining the curtain of the temple broke in two, torn, so you can see the Holy of Holies. The earth shakes, the, the rocks split, the, the dead rise to life, even hunt the hardened, ruthless Roman guards beginning to, to understand the uniqueness of who God is and, and what has happened on the cross. Yet, it is the words of Jesus that commanded the center stage. It is the very darkest hour that Jesus cries out, and he cries out, now cry here, it literally is like, it's is Greek, it's also used as a, describe a lion's roar. The word, the, the Greek word they use for cries out here is a word that they also describe a lion's roar. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, these words were so heavy with emotion that, that I can't do them justice just reading them. Uh, and, and, and Jesus said this with a, with a lion's roar, and I'm not going to attempt it. See, but we hard to, it's hard to imagine God forsaking Jesus. But what we need to understand is that in this hour, Jesus is not righteous. God made him who, who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God places our sins upon His Son. God punishes us of our sin in, because of the wrath of Jesus, what has happened to Jesus. 
God's poured his sin-hating wrath on his son so that God could pour out his soul-saving love onto us. God loves his children and punishes sin by putting their sin on the sinless one. Now, do you see the beauty of the cross? Do we get it? Do you really understand what is going on here at this very moment in time? See, my concern is that we might not get it. That we might miss the, the normity and the beauty and understand the doctrine of substitution. That this is the marrow of Scripture. This is the heartbeat of the Bible. What I'm concerned about this morning is that we will miss this and we will, and, and we will put some other God will step into our lives and, and when we get into a tight spot and then, then we'll walk back into church. But as long as life is good, why do we need a God? Why do we need a Savior? But then when life gets hard, then we're back in church again. That's because we don't understand what God has done for us. Do you truly understand what God has done? It offsets the difficulties that you and I will have the rest of our lives. Do you understand the, the scales of, that massively have tipped in our favor? God loves you. God owns you. God has bought you. God has bought you with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. When, we, when God had to choose between eternity spent without us or eternity spent with us, He said, listen, I'll do anything, anything to have you with me. Do you see how much God cares? Do you understand how tragic it would be if you and I missed the beauty of the cross? The Lamb of God must be pure and perfect and sinless if our sins and our guilt is to be placed upon Him. Then they will be placed upon us, if not upon Him. If, if our sins rest upon us, and when we stand before the judgment of Christ, then we would receive the penalty. If we do not accept the substitution of death of Christ on the cross, then there is no plan B. Maybe let me explain it this way. On October the 16th of 1987, uh, Northwest, Northwest Airline, flight number 222, uh, crashed during takeoff in Detroit, Michigan. There were five, 155 deaths and only one survivor of that plane crash. The survivor was a four-year-old girl named Cecilia. She was found by the firefighters as they were going through the wreckage and the carnage. See what happened just before the crash, Cecilia's mother, Paula, unbuckled, Paula unbuckled her seatbelt and knelt in front of her daughter, Cecilia, with her arms wrapped around her so that when the crash took place, the, the explosion, the fire, the everything that happened in the carnage that Paula, the mother, would protect the daughter. The mother would, would feel the full force of the devastation of the crash. Paula took the fall for her daughter that she loved. And that's exactly what God has done for you. 
God has wrapped his arms around you in the form of Jesus Christ. He has not pretended that there is no fall because we have rebelled against God. We are sinners and we have fallen from him. But because God loves us, he's wrapped his arms around us. And God has felt the full force of our selfishness and our sinfulness. That is why Jesus proclaimed, it is finished. All is left is for us to accept it and for our lives to be forever changed. And let us pray. Good and gracious and glorious God, thank you so much for this day and this time and this moment, Lord, for reminding us of your great love. And Lord God, for reminding us of, of, of Lord, the, the, of, of the effects of our sinfulness. Lord God, we do love you and we thank you. Help us this day, Lord, to be mindful of the beauty of the cross that we may be forever changed. May we accept this gift that you've given to us, Lord, that we may be forever changed. May we see today the beauty of Monday, Thursday, of Good Friday, and the extraordinary miracle of Easter. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let the children of God say amen. Amen.